guess the overarching theme of this series would be getting along with the family. Talking about the church, about the family of God. So I want us to look this morning at real or true Christian fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 3. John says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Father, this morning I pray that we would be attentive, that our hearts and minds would be open. That, Father, you would uh, give me the words that I need to say. I pray we'd understand what true Christian fellowship is, what it is based on, and, Father, how we maintain that. Speak to us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I read a story some time ago about a horse pulling event that takes place up in Canada every year. And they take these big draft horses or percheron horses and they hook weights to them to see how much weight that each horse can pull. One horse pulled 8,000 pounds. The other horse, another one pulled 9,000 pounds. That's, that's phenomenal, is it not? Four and a half tons to think that an animal, a horse, could pull that much. Well, with one horse pulling 8,000 and one horse pulling 9,000, you would figure if they harnessed them together and they were pulling together, they would pull 17,000, right? Mm-mm, no, they harnessed them together, they pulled 30,000 pounds. Now the principle that is used is called synergism. How many of y'all have heard that before? A lot of folks have. Let me give you the definition. It says it's the simultaneous action of separate agents working together has a greater total effect than the sum of their efforts combined. Simply put, more can be done in a team effort than can be done uh, and accomplished individually. Now, in order for the principle, folks, of synergism to work as it should, there must be teamwork and there must be fellowship. Now, let me say this. The church of Jesus Christ is a place where synergism is to take place as well. It's not a one-man show. It's not a solo effort. Rather, it's a place of teamwork, a place of fellowship where we work together toward a common goal. Let me read you something one writer said, sadly but true. He said, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants in the church. It's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape instead of reality. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God's put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known, the desire to love and be loved. And so many people seek the counterfeit of God's fellowship at the price of a few beers. Let me read you something else or I'll tell you the story. Uh, I couldn't help but think about uh, when I was putting this message together. The old British preacher John Fawcett. Many years ago, he pastored in a little community called Waynesgate, England. Now there in Waynesgate, it was a small, it was a rural village. It was a poor village. He labored and worked there for seven long, hard years. Now his salary couldn't hardly cover the bare necessities that he and his wife needed uh, to sustain their life. But he stayed because that's where God called him. Now the folks in that little church in that community, they were very poor 
but they, they compensated for it by being a, a, a people, a church of love, of warmth, and a fellowship. Well, it just so happened that John Fawcett received a call from a much larger church in London. Well, after a lot of deliberation, he accepted the position to go and be their pastor. So as the day came when they were leaving, they placed their few meager possessions in the back of a wagon for moving. Now, a lot of the parishioners come by to wish them goodbye and to tell them how much they loved them. And once again, many of them pleaded with John Foss and his wife to reconsider the decision. Now, touched by this outpouring of love, his wife began to weep. Finally, Miss Fawcett said to him, she said, Oh, John, I can't bear this. My heart is breaking. And Pastor Fawcett said, You know what, hon? God has spoken to my heart as well. And he said, Tell the man to unload the wagon. We're not going anywhere. He said, How can we break these wonderful ties of fellowship? Now, folks, I told you that because it was from that experience that inspired John Fawcett to write the words to a hymn that we all know. See if you remember this one. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred mind is like that to above. You know, most churches today, they have reduced fellowship to uh, coffee, tea, or Kool-Aid, or punch and cookies, or, or you know, coffee and cake in the so-called fellowship hall. If they plan an outing or go on a picnic, that's what they call fellowship. If they laugh, uh, sing, maybe shake hands, slap back, tell stories, that's fellowship. Now listen to me. None of these things, there's nothing wrong with them. They're all fine things. And in some way or another, they relate to fellowship. But there's nothing distinctly Christian about those things. You see, those things that I mentioned in and of themselves are void of what the Bible terms as true Fellowship, true Christian fellowship among believers. Now I once heard fellowship defined, I think I've used this before, somebody, I think it was a little boy, defined fellowship as two fellas in the same ship. Now folks, I like that definition because I think it's a great definition. Because the idea is of communion, intimacy, and sharing. That's the Bible description. That's how the Bible depicts true Christian fellowship. What I want us to do this morning is consider John's admonition. Notice in verse 7, he says, Fellowship one with another. I want you to notice three aspects of true Christian fellowship. Now if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the first thing I want us to do is to establish the basis for our fellowship. Notice the word fellowship. It's used four times in three verses. Twice in verse 3. Once in verse 6. Once in verse 7. The word fellowship is a rather interesting word. It literally means to have in common. It describes a partnership. A team effort. A matter of fact, the word in the Greek that's used for fellowship was used in classical Greek literature, classical uh, Greek writing, to express that intimate bond between a husband and a wife. So this is the idea the Bible conveys to us about Christian fellowship. It's to be where we have things in common. It's to be a partnership. It's to be a bond of intimacy and sharing. However, in order for believers to have this fellowship that John's talking about, there has to be a basis for it. So, the basis is twofold, and John explains it to us. Number one, it's based, first of all, on one's redemption in Christ. Look at verse 2 and 3. <clears throat> John speaks of this foundational truth of true Christian fellowship. Verse 2. He says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, 
Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Notice that phrase, fellowship with us. That speaks of fellowship with those round about you. It's fellowship enjoyed and experienced within the family of God. Now I've already stated, folks, that the word fellowship describes that which we share in common. So, let's cut to the chase here. Let me ask you, what is the one thing that every one of us here today who are Christians, what is the one thing that we all have in common? Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 again. It tells us that God became flesh. When you read this whole passage, you understand it's talking about the fact that God became flesh, manifested Himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross for our sins. So, He has given and shown unto us that eternal life, which is Jesus Christ, which was with the Father and manifested unto us. Now, that's just a big way of saying that every member of the family of God shares this one great truth. We have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, for us to have true Christian fellowship, you got to be part of God's family. Amen? It's hard to have Christian fellowship if you just got one that's a Christian. There may be a lot of different backgrounds as believers. We may be from different uh, you know, cultures, may have different personalities. But if you're saved, then listen to me. We all have been redeemed through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we are saved the very same way. The blood of Christ has redeemed us. So to have fellowship, it must start right there at that point. I believe, folks, that that is one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that, that God loves everybody and will save anybody, even though they may be a nobody, God can make you a somebody because of Jesus Christ. Just, and let me put it this way, just because I'm a preacher of the gospel, just because I'm pastor of this church, that does not mean that God loves me any more than He loves you. Okay? Folks, I want to tell you something. Furthermore, when we get to heaven, you will have made it to heaven the same way I did. By the marvelous, miraculous, amazing grace of God. So our fellowship must first and foremost be based on our redemption in Christ. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked with non-believers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. Then we see not only the Christian fellowship, folks, uh, it's based first and foremost on the redemption we have in Christ, but also based on one's relationship with Christ. We've not only been saved, but because... We have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That means we are now God's children. We've been adopted into His family. Look at verse 3. There's a hint of this here. It says, And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Because of being saved, being redeemed. Now I'm talking to those that are redeemed. You say, I don't know if I am or not. Well, then you need to know today if you are or not. You're going to have an opportunity to know that in just a few minutes. But if you are redeemed, then you have been adopted into God's family. And our fellowship together and our fellowship as individuals to God the Father rests on the fact that we do belong to Him. And that we grow in our relationship with Him. 
We're saved and we're now children of the King. We enter into a relationship with the God of heaven. He's our Father, we're His children. Therefore, let me say this, if you're saved, then you're my spiritual brother or sister. We belong to the same family. We are spiritual kin. I was reminded of this this week as we took that trip to uh, Florence, Kentucky to see the Creation Museum and, and the Ark encounter there. A lot of folks. It's crowded. A lot of folks. I, I, I'll admit that. And you know what? A lot of Yankees up in that part of the country. I mean, you, you're in the northern part of Kentucky, and just right here is Ohio, and right here is Indiana. I don't know if that's Yankees or not. They're close enough to me. I mean, they said great hot breakfast at the hotel. They didn't have biscuits and gravy at that hotel. Now, I, I, I was all excited because they had a big crock pot there and it looked like gravy, and I got to looking for biscuits. There was bagels. I was like, Where, where's the biscuits for the gravy? I opened that up, it was oatmeal. Lord help me, I almost had a fit right then. <laughs> but you know, I, I noticed something at that ark encounter and at that hotel. People bowed their head before they ate. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking about the stories of the Bible, about Noah. And I realized, you know what? These folks are Christians. These folks are believers. Even though the Yankees, God bless them. They're still believers. And you know what? God reminded me, it doesn't matter where a person's from. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what background they have. It don't matter how much money they have or don't have. He said, they're saved by the same grace that you're saved by. You're kin to them. Your brother and sister. Listen to me, folks. Our fellowship must first and foremost be based on the redemption in Christ, but also on one's relationship with Christ. I was reminded, it doesn't matter if a person lives in a different state, or, or I, have, I have brothers and sisters in the Philippines and China and Russia and other places, other parts of the world, we're still kin. We're still in the one family, in the body of Christ. We've been made one in the Lord Jesus. Listen to me. Ephesians 1.5 says, God having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Now listen, if you have been adopted, folks, that makes you part of God's family. Then you're my spiritual brother or sister. And that means that we can enjoy fellowship together. Background doesn't matter. Personality doesn't matter. Social economic standing does not matter. The blood of Jesus Christ bonds us. We're one in the family of God. That's the reason, you know, I, I used to love that little chorus. We sang it so much. The church I grew up in, when Marsha and I first got married, the church we was at, that chorus says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by, the, by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Author Jim Phillips in his book, One Another, explains it like this. He said, there must be a common participation in the grace of God, in the salvation of Christ, and in the blessings of the Holy Spirit. If not, there can be no true fellowship. Christian fellowship has been made possible through our redemption in Christ, and again, our relationship with Christ. That's the basis of any and all true Christian fellowship. Well, that leads me to the second thing. The second thing I want us to do is to think about, examine the bond in our fellowship. Now, the fellowship the Bible speaks of, it possesses wonderful, uh, a wonderful basis, but folks, it has wonderful blessings as well. Again, fellowship, that speaks of union, uh, of sharing, of intimacy. It's where we have and share things in common. The bond in Christian fellowship involves 
two things. First of all, the journey that we share together. The journey we share together. You realize we're all on the same journey, Christian? We're sojourning. We're passing through this life. We're all on the same journey. I was reminded of a story I heard by the great Bible teacher, Ray Stedman. He was a long-time pastor out at the Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California. And one night he read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 to his church. It says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul goes on to say, And such were some of you. Now on the spur of the moment, uh, Pastor Stedman asked his people in the congregation, he said, I'm just curious, he said, would you be willing to raise your hand if you have ever had problems with any of these sins that I've just mentioned? And a whole bunch of hands in the congregation shot up. There was one young man who was visiting the church, never been there before. He was amazed by this. Afterwards, some of the folks in the church were visiting with him, and he said, i got to tell you something. I've never been in a church that exercised such open, honest confession among its members. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, God spoke to my heart when I was sitting there and said, you know what? These are your kind of people. They're fighting the same fight that you're fighting. They're struggling with the same temptations. They're struggling and fighting the same demons he said that I've been fighting. And he said, what blessed my heart was to know here was a church that didn't mind sharing that fact with one another. Now I want you to listen to your pastor real close. Whether you like to admit it or not, folks, as fellow believers, we share the same journey. We've been saved by the same grace. We're standing on the same ground. We are striving toward the same goal and we're serving the same God. We've got a lot of things in common. Amen? Furthermore, let me say this. I believe if we go around the room this morning and we were totally honest with one another, we'd find that many of us are fighting the same battles. We're carrying the same burdens. Therefore, it ought to be easy for us to share our hearts and our lives with other believers who are going through the same thing that we're going through. Amen? Now, I, I, I don't know about anybody else. I can speak for myself for sure. Just because a man's a pastor doesn't mean he doesn't fight the same battles that you fight. Just because a man's a preacher doesn't mean he don't face the same things you face. And I'm going to be honest with you, many times it's compounded. Because Satan knows if I can strike the pastor, if I can strike down the under-shepherd, I can scatter the sheep. Now I want you to listen to me, folks. I believe with all my heart, I'm convicted of this, this is one of the most blessed aspects of belonging to a local church fellowship. The fact that we, we know we have other believers who love us, who pray for us, who care for us, who encourage us, that is a wonderful thing. Amen? But I'm going to tell you something else. It is unique in and of itself to Christian fellowship. I want you to listen to these words. An unknown author penned the words of this poem. Humorous poem, but a true poem. It says, It's a funny thing but true that folks you don't like don't like you. I don't know why this should be so, but just the same, I always know. If I'm sour, friends are few. If I'm friendly, folks are too. Sometimes I get up in the morning wishing I'd never been born. I make across remarks a few, and then my family wishes too that I had gone some other place instead of showing them my face. 
But let me change my little tune and sing and smile. Then pretty soon, the folks around me sing and smile. I guess was catching all the while. Yeah, it's funny but true. Folks you like will sure like you. The English preacher John Doan 400 years ago wrote these words. He said, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Christian, listen to me. Let me say it again. We're all on the same journey. We're all in the same boat together. Okay? As we, and, and, and let me make it clear. As we assemble together as a church family, first and foremost, to worship our Lord, to exalt Jesus Christ and magnify His name, we also come together to fellowship with one another and to draw strength from our spiritual family. Let me ask you something. How many times have you experienced this in your lifetime, Christian? When a Christian brother or sister would give testimony and what they said was just what you needed to hear at that moment in your life. How many times have you come to church? Maybe you've been having a rough week or a rough month, rough year, rough life. And somebody, some brother or sister puts their arm around your shoulder. Maybe gives you a hug or Maybe just whispers a word of encouragement to you. And that is exactly what you needed at that time. Are you catching what I'm throwing to you? You hear me? Let me tell you how important. God enforced, reinforced this to me years ago. There was a little lady in the church, another church that I was at. And I, I had no idea what was going on in her life at the time. But much like I do now, you know, I try to shake hands with folks or, or at least acknowledge folks in the morning. But where there's a lot of people, sometimes I don't get an opportunity to. But I may be walking past the, the pew and, and many times I'll lay my hand on somebody's shoulder or I'll pat them on the shoulder or on the back. You know why I do that? Not just to let you know that as your pastor, I love you. I'm glad you're here this morning. But to let you know, hey, we're in the same boat together. I had a little lady come to me. She said, you know, Pastor, you did not know this. But you come by that morning and you put your hand on my shoulder. And you give it a little squeeze and you patted me and walked on by. She said, that was enough for me to know that I got a church family. I got people that love me. I got people that know, they, they may not know the details, but they know my struggles. She said, I'm so thankful for that. Folks, when we come together, we, we receive that spiritual strength from our families. Why? Because we're on the same journey together. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 said, There is no temptation taking you but such as common to man. You know what that means? That means anything you're facing, somebody else has already faced. Anything you're going through, somebody else has already gone through it or may be going through it at the same time. There's not only the journey that we share together, but number verse 4, look at this. The second thing, there's the joy we seek together. Look at verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now throughout John's first epistle here, he uses words like, I write unto you, or like he says in our text this morning, he says, uh, write we unto you, or these things write we unto you. What John is doing is giving a specific reason that he's writing this letter. And the first reason he gives in, is in verse 4. He writes unto us as fellow believers that our joy may be full. Now notice that word joy, it's better rendered delight or gladness. In the Greek, it literally means to be swept off your feet. Now ironically though, folks, this is the only time that word appears in the epistle of 1 John. And what John is doing is using that word joy to remind us the Christian life is not to be a burden, but a blessing. 
It's not to be a, 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 a drudgery. It's to be a delight. It's not something we endure. But praise God, it's something to be enjoyed. I'll never forget the story I heard about a, a Sunday school teacher teaching primary age kids, younger kids. And she, uh, she said, I'm going to give you an assignment this week. I want you to go home this week and do your best to make somebody happy this week. And then come back next week and tell everybody about it. So the kids were all excited. They left. They come back the next Sunday. She said, all right, kiddos. How many of you did what I asked? How many of you made somebody happy this week? One little boy named Johnny's hand shot up. Now, Johnny was a pistol. He was a typical little boy. Way too much energy. He said, I did, I did, teacher, I did. She said, Johnny, that's great. Tell me, what did you do to make somebody happy this week? He said, well, I went to see my Aunt Becky, and when I laughed, boy, was she happy. Church, listen to me. I'm convinced that as Christians, we ought to be the happiest people on planet earth. I mean, think about it. Just to think about what God has done for us, with us, through us. I mean, think about that. That's, that's enough to make a dead Presbyterian shout. I mean, John makes a point to remind us of, of these things, folks, that we have a bond of Christian fellowship. And it's so special that, that we seek the same joy with one another. Now I want you to listen to me. Being around the saints of God, that ought to be something we can't wait to get to rather than something we can't wait to get away from. You know, we've all seen these people. I know we have. They profess to be saved and going to heaven, but you never know it by looking at them. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? They, they, uh, they're bitter. They're grumpy all the time. They're critical about everything. They have a scowl on their face. You know, I, I usually say it this way. They, they smile as about, about as much as a possum sucking on green persimmons. You know what I'm talking about? They got that look all the time. Folks, listen to me. They, they seem to be mad at the world. I'm going to read you another poem. I think this will drive the point home. It's called, What Good Did It Do to Be Grouchy Today? God showed this to me because I've been grouchy lately. What good did it do to be grouchy today? Did your surliness drive any trouble away? Did you cover more ground than you usually do because of the grouch that you carried with you? If not, what's the use of a grouch or a frown? If it won't smooth the path or, grim, or a grim troubled round, if it doesn't assist you, it isn't worthwhile. Your work may be hard, but do it for Jesus and do it with a smile. Let me tell you something, friend. I know maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you're having a, a rough month or a tough life right now. But if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to me. What you're facing here in this life, it's as bad as it's ever going to get for you. Are you following me? Listen to me. If you have been saved, then know this. You've been delivered from the wrath to come and you're on your way to heaven. So pick up your chin, pull up your lip, raise up your hand. A better day is coming. Now not only have we established the basis of our fellowship, and that is redemption in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we've also examined, uh, folks, the bond of our fellowship. We're all in the same boat, same journey. And folks, we are together seeking that joy. Of Jesus. But I want you to see the final thing. And that is we ought to enjoy the blessings of this fellowship. 
Fellowship among believers, I think, provides some wonderful, wonderful blessings. Let me say it again. We draw our strength from one another. We share our service with one another. Do you realize one of the greatest blessings from our fellowship is that we can enjoy fellowship together while we serve God right here and now? I mean, it's not something that's reserved in the sweet by and by when we get to heaven. We can enjoy that joy right now. John emphasizes this first. Look at verse 3. By talking about, speaking about a vertical fellowship that's available. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse 6. He says, we have fellowship with Him. He's speaking of vertical fellowship that's available to those of us that are saved. He's talking about our fellowship with God. Now folks, we not only have a relationship with God, but praise God, we can have a fellowship with Him. You say, what's the difference? Fellowship. We can talk with God, walk with God, speak to God, share with God. That's a blessing. Amen? Speaking of this vertical fellowship, I want you to look at verse 5 and 6. Talking about our fellowship with God. John says that there is a walk that can sever or break this fellowship. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. John is telling us that it's possible for our fellowship with God to be interrupted, for it to be broken or severed. Now let me make this real clear. There's a vast difference, folks, between our relationship to God and our fellowship with God. It is possible for our fellowship to be broken, but never our relationship. Let me explain it this way. Imagine you have a, a father and a child, a son or a daughter, and there's something that has come between them, and they're, they're not talking to one another. They're not even seeing one another. I mean, there is a division there. Now this son, he may go as far as to even change his name, but it doesn't change the fact that the son is still a son, and the father is still the father. The fellowship, folks, we have may be severed, but the relationship can never be severed. If you're saved, you're always going to be a child of God. you agree with that? Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I know people say, well, them Baptists, they believe that once saved, always saved. Absolutely. Because that's what the Bible says. Fellowship might be broken. Relationship cannot be broken. There is nothing that can destroy that. But there are things that can destroy our fellowship. Notice what John says, speaking our text about the character of God. He refers to God as light. Now, light represents holiness of God, all right? That is, there is no dark side to God's character. There is no shadow to His personality. In fact, John states that in Him is no darkness at all. In the Greek, that, that word no, that's a double negative, so it can be translated this way. In Him there is no darkness, no, none at all, ever. No darkness in God. God is completely, totally, absolutely holy without fail. However, the conduct of man, John refers to it as one walking in darkness. In other words, when he talks about walking in darkness, church, he means that someone's walking unholy, unchristlike, or in a sinful manner. I want to quote Pastor Ray Stedman again in a sermon that he preached entitled Walking in the Light. Listen to what he said. He said, to walk in darkness means to walk as though there was no God. For God is light. It is to be a practical atheist, not an actual one, but a practical one. We believe that there is a God. We know that He is there. But we live as though He did not exist. And we do not, and I love this, we do not expose ourselves to Him. 
Now, folks, after defining God as light and describing one walking in darkness away from God, John speaks about those claiming to have fellowship with God, yet they're walking in darkness. Look at verse 6 again. It says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice the words, if we say. This is someone making the claim that they have fellowship with God, yet they're living a sinful life. They're living a lie. They're only deceiving themselves if they think that they can walk in darkness or in sin and remain in fellowship with God. Now, I want to make this real clear. If this is where you're at today, you're saved. You're a born-again believer, but your life is not being lived the way it should. Your life is not a life that shows the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. Then you're walking in darkness. And if you think your fellowship with God is okay, you're deceiving yourself. John says you cannot walk in darkness and say that you walk with God who is always light. Walking in darkness, think about it. If that sin, that walking in darkness severs our fellowship with God, then walking in light sustains our fellowship with God. Because, look at verse 7. John says we're to walk in the light as He is in the light. In other words, we're to experience, if we're going to experience, and enjoy the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, enjoy a close fellowship with God, then we must live clean, committed, obedient, consecrated lives before God. Somebody might say, well, preacher, what if I stumble in sin? What if I get out of the light and go over in the darkness? Is there any hope? Is there anything to be done? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Look at verse 7. Last part of verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Listen to me, friend. Even when we get away from the walk that sustains our fellowship with God, God, He loves us. He forgives us. He's ready once again to have that fellowship with us. Thank God for that vertical fellowship that He makes available. But notice also, John talks about a horizontal fellowship that's attainable for each and every one of us. An amazing thing takes place when we're in fellowship with God, we're then in fellowship with one another. That's what John tells us. Did you notice the link? Look at verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, I want to make something clear, because some of you may have heard this before. For years, I've heard that truth in this passage misquoted and misinterpreted and taken out of context. I've heard it explained that, well, the fellowship with one another speaks of our fellowship with God. Yes, to an extent it does. But now, if you truly exegete Scripture, you're going to see that vertical fellowship, that our fellowship with God. Folks, that has already been discussed. That was the main theme of verses 5, 6, and the first part of verse 7. The idea given here by John is not of a vertical fellowship, but of a horizontal fellowship. It's not referring to our fellowship with God, but our fellowship with one another. Let me explain it this way. John is saying that when our vertical fellowship with God's intact, that our horizontal fellowship with one another will be intact. Listen, when we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. So let me make it real clear. Because we belong to Him, we now belong to one another. Because we can have fellowship with Him, we now can have fellowship with one another. But I want to say this, the reverse is also true. That is, if I'm out of fellowship with God, then I'm going to be out of fellowship with you. I can't expect to have fellowship with you and not have fellowship with God. And I cannot expect to have fellowship with God without having fellowship with you. 
But here's the, here's the, the, the bottom line, folks. At the end of the day, you know what it comes down to? Walking in the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I'm going to close right here. I'm not sure how many of you, and I know probably everybody's heard this, the, the term no man's land. I don't know if you know where that term originated at or not. A little over a thousand years ago in England, uh, when someone committed a crime, retribution was swift and to the point. Most crimes were punishable by death. You stole a loaf of bread, they'd kill you. You know, you, you uh, said something bad against those in power, they'd kill you. And what they would do, it was customary, they would take criminals and go outside the north gate uh, of the city of London. And there on the hillside, they would perform the executions, you know, hanging or, or beheading or whatever it was, and dispose of the bodies. Well, long after the territory had been, uh, folks settled down, no one laid claim to that area of land where the executions took place. So because no one laid claim to it, it was considered no man's land. No man's land. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I, I thank God, praise God, there's no such thing as no man's land in the body of Christ. Church, listen to me. There's no place in the church, in the body of Christ, for spiritual lone rangers, for going it alone. There's no place that in the family of God. It is all for one and one for all. That's true Christian fellowship. We're on the same journey. We're seeking the same joy. And that true fellowship is where people saved by the marvelous, amazing grace of God get alone together and they're right with one another because they're right with God. That's true Christian fellowship. So my question as I close this morning is this. How's your fellowship? How's your fellowship? Look at verse 6 and 7 one more time. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Do you bow your heads, please? Just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'll ask the question again, how's your fellowship? Now to have fellowship, again, it's got to start with being in the family of God. And for that to happen, you have to experience the salvation through Jesus Christ that God offers you. You have to be redeemed. You have to have that relationship with Christ. If you have a fellowship with God and fellowship with other brothers and sisters, then maybe it's because you're really not a brother or sister. And maybe it's because you do not have a relationship with God. It all has to start right there. Now maybe you're hearing you saying, yeah, preacher, I've never given my life to Christ. Well, you need to do that this morning. That's first and foremost. And if you have given your life to Christ, but you seem to be out of fellowship with God, Paul, uh, John makes it real clear. The reason you're out of fellowship is because you're walking in the dark, not in the light. You need to rededicate your life. Say, God, bring me back into the path of righteousness. Bring me back to the path of light. I don't know what decision God's laid on your heart or what you're dealing with right now. I just want to encourage you to be obedient to God's call on your life. Father, as we have this invitation, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, hearts would be convicted, lives would be changed. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?